0: You may have heard this week that Sinead O'Connor died at 56. That makes me sad for several reasons. One at 54. And it makes me think about this DM. Also makes me sad because I, I wasn't necessarily a big fan of Sinead O'Connor back in the day, like the one famous song that uh, most people like, back in the 90s. But one of the things that's always intrigued me about her was how much of her wrestlings and her frustrations were about theology. They were theologically grounded
1: or ungrounded. As the case she grew up in a
0: Catholic home. She was abused by a Catholic mother, eventually abused by people uh, who, were, uh, in, uh, who were clergy, both physically and sexually. She, she, she suffered with different struggles with different kinds of mental health issues, She had really confused ideas about who God was. And it really wasn't until 2018, when she converted to Islam, that she uh, let go, when she finally let go of ideas about Jesus that were wrong and embraced even worse ideas about Jesus. And it it just really broke my heart because it really made me realize the damage that's done. When people are theologically confused, when they have the wrong idea about who God is and what he does. Because some of the things that she said, I'll have to say, I, I agreed with. She made even a few theological comments at different seasons where I go, no, I think that's true. But most of the time, she was just so broken and so confused, and that was probably made worse by the drugs that she was involved in. And I was reading her story, and I know that she's another famous person whose life goes in the toilet, but the truth is it still really broke my heart because I could see these connections. And except for the grace of God, so go we. See, here's here's the reality, is that when it comes to the work of Jesus, when it comes to the work of God's Holy Spirit, when it comes to the work and the plan that God is unfolding through Jesus, unless we stick to what this word says, unless we stick to what the book says, We're going to get confused. I mean, let's be honest, we get confused even when we try to stick to what the book says. There's a need for us to let the Lord form in us what is true. And to be constantly challenged and corrected by what God says. And I think this is probably no truer than when it comes to the work of God's Holy Spirit. Because there's so much confusion within Christendom about the work of God's Holy Spirit. There was radical confusion in Corinth. I mean, these were people that were priding themselves on being spiritually elite, wise. They saw wisdom, not defined as Scripture defines it, but wisdom as as defined by Greek culture. And they saw, oh yeah, okay, if that's wisdom, we're the wisest of all. They did the very human thing of exalting people so that as they exalted their favorite, they might, through association themselves, be exalted. They put an emphasis on the more supernatural, more miraculous types of gifts, which we'll talk about today. And as we'll see in a few weeks, they forgot the most important thing, which is love. If we're going to, if we're going to actually experience an authentic work of God in our lives, we have to recognize where that starts and where that's going. We got to understand the work of the Spirit. And as we're going to see today, that the work of the Spirit builds on the foundation of Jesus. Jesus. And so when we look at verse 3, in fact, we're going to give you three ways, ways—the three foundational ways the Spirit works. We look at verses 1 to 3, and the first thing we see is that the Spirit empowers submission to Jesus. This is what Paul wants the Corinthians to see. Before he gets into the details of the spiritual gifts or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, he says, I want you to see this is the first thing. That the, the the spirit empowers submission to Jesus. Verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. The word for uninformed in some versions is, is translated ignorant, which is probably better. Because here's the reality: listen, listen, many are ignorant of the spirit's work. In fact, the word spiritual gifts is translated spiritual gifts. It's one word in the Greek. And it can be translated things of the Spirit people of the Spirit, and probably both those things are implied here. But it's really just, what does the Spirit do? It's pneumaticos. What does the Spirit do? And he says, when it comes to what the Spirit does, many people are flat ignorant. That doesn't mean they haven't experienced the work of the Spirit, but they lack understanding to recognize when the Spirit is actually working. Because when we talk about the Spirit's work, we're not talking about what we do that we think looks spiritual. We're talking about what God does in us by His Holy Spirit. That's what we're often ignorant of. I mean, if I was to ask you right now, what does it look like when the Spirit works? When was the last time you could identify the Spirit's work? I wonder what you'd say. Would it be an emotional experience? Would it be a feeling of peace or joy? Would it be a sense of power when you're trying to share the gospel? Would it be endurance in a difficult situation? What would it be? When you could say, God was working in me here to do this. See, many are ignorant of the Spirit's work. But here, he also wants it to be clear in verse 2, that all have been led astray by counterfeit gods. All. Everyone in Corinth? Every one of us. Look at verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans that you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. In other words, he's saying, listen, you've been, you were pulled away. Now, Paul's doing this on purpose. He's wanting to compare the work of the Spirit, specifically in, the, in these first 11 verses, the kind of more miraculous work of the Spirit. He's wanting to compare that with what we know as counterfeit works, counterfeit miracles. As you guys know that there's plenty of those. Some of you guys have experienced counterfeit miracles. You came out of cultic or or, or strange uh, religious groups that saw counterfeit miracles. There are such a thing. And Paul said, I want you to see the difference. The, 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 The issue here is not what kind of supernatural stuff you can do, but it starts with what's the foundation that the Spirit is building on? What is the Holy Spirit doing? What is he doing? See, here's the thing we have to recognize. All of us, we make our own gods, both in our, he- in our heads and with our hands. I really encourage you to read all of Psalm 115, but I'm just going to read to you verses 4 and 5 today. He, the psalmist says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. This is always the way it's been. All of us create these false gods, again, with our hands or with our heads that we bow down and worship. This is what sin is. It's falling short of the glory of the one true God. Instead, we fall down at the glory, little g, of a false god. This is what we do. And and Paul wants them to see. In fact, this is what you need to understand because I bet you not many of you here have literally bowed down before a statue. Some of you may have, but not many of you here have. If you have bowed down before a statue, kissed a statue, thought, this is, this is the, the God that I worship. This is, the, this is the spirit behind this that I worship. If you've done that, then you know what this means concretely or, or physically. But guess what? All of us have done this with our hearts. This is, this is human nature. Listen, whatever we live for, whatever gives us purpose and meaning, whatever dictates our ideas about right and wrong, whatever we value most is our God. And if we're honest, that changes from moment to moment. Paul, The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 1. Listen, he says, I'm reading from the New Living Translation just because I like the way it, it, it says this here. It says, yes, humanity knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And we still do it today. We worship our jobs, our reputations, our relationships. This is the heart that we have. Why is this important? What's this got to do with the work of the Holy Spirit? Because here's, here, here it is. Unless the Holy Spirit works in us, we'll always worship idols. In fact, Paul says, look, I'll make it really clear. Verse 3, look at what Paul says. Listen. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, Now, it's interesting because this phrase, Jesus is accursed, this could have been what Paul, back when he was Saul, when Saul was persecuting Christians before he was converted to Christ and then became Paul. It's possible that Saul used to cause Christians to say, say Jesus is accursed, or you go in the jail. Say Jesus is accursed, or you're going to be executed. He could have been forcing them to say this. And he did it, listen, he did it thinking he was doing it in the name of the God of Scripture. Of the God of the Jews. And he's saying, listen, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit. But he also says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean uttering the words Jesus is Lord. Anybody can say those three words. You could not know English at all and still learn to say Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean anything. It's not uttering the words. In this context, in, in Corinthian context, it meant this if you were to say Jesus is Lord, Uh, And If a Greek person, a Gentile person, a pagan, as he's called here in 1 Corinthians, was to say, Jesus is Lord, he's automatically saying something that puts him against the, the ruler of Rome. Because you had to say, Caesar is Lord. So it made you politically on the outside. It made you culturally on the outside. But also, if you were a Jew, to say, Jesus is Lord... Strict Jews thought, no, Lord should only be kept to Yahweh. In fact, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word Yahweh was changed to the word Lord, or kurios in Greek. And so this is like basically saying, okay, here's a new allegiance. There's a new allegiance when you say this, that you're saying, I am now recognizing Jesus and Jesus alone should be followed, should be worshipped. No one else, no other idols, no other gods. Jesus is Lord. Jesus has the last say. Jesus gets to say what I should or should not do. Now, this is not just a a line in the sand that Paul's dividing. Because remember, Paul said earlier in, in the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul made it clear that these guys are real believers. Though they have some really weird things going on in Corinth. They had made some big mistakes. They are real believers. They are genuine believers in Jesus. And Paul's saying to them, listen, he's saying, do you recognize that you're only able to follow Jesus because what the Holy Spirit's already done? And so you're trying to parade around, look at me, I'm so spiritual, I do this thing or I do that thing, is foolish because what you should do is say, God, thank you for the work of your spirit that i have actually come to faith in Jesus. Because that's what he's doing. Jesus is working by his spirit to bring us to faith in him. God is working in us to bring us to faith in Jesus. So when we recognize, yes, Jesus, your Lord, what you says what you say goes, you're the only Savior. you're the one I have to put my trust in. If you are in that place where you're convinced of that, even if you're not living the way you automatically should live, but you're convinced of that, guess what? That is the work of the Spirit in your life. Can you give God thanks for that? Obviously not. Can we say thank you, Lord, for that? Isn't that a glorious thing that God's done that? And listen, this is the this is the, the reality. There's a, I think there is a pattern here where many are ignorant of the Spirit's work, all have been led astray by counterfeit gods, but any can follow Jesus because it's not us choosing or figuring out this stuff out or being raised in the right culture. It is about the Holy Spirit's work. That should give us confidence, shouldn't it? You guys know my story. I didn't grow up in church at all. No religious upbringing, zero. I went to a vacation Bible school, I think, once when I was like six. Don't remember anything but the candy. Went again to an after-school club when I was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 again for the candy. And also, one of the bags, the candy bags that you, you got, you won for memorizing a scripture or something, there was a dollar bill. That was a lot of money back in the 80s, man. And I, I don't remember any of the scriptures I was taught to memorize. I remember the church smelled really weird. And then I really didn't go to church other than that, but once when I was uh, about 10 years old and my dad had had a heart attack and I was staying with his business partner, we went to his church. He went to um, a a Pentecostal church and a lovely, lovely group of people. But there was this old lady with blue hair. I kid you not, her hair was blue. And she came up to me and she says, oh, "Uh, oh, is this your first time? And I said, yes, it is. She goes, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, no, I'm looking for my friend Jesus. He's not around anywhere. And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Now, that's very true. But to say that to a 10 year old boy whose dad's dying in the hospital is not really a good idea, is it? That's my church experience. <laughs> and I'm living like Jack the Lad until what happens? What happens is all of a sudden I'm miserable in my sin. Don't even know that it's sin. I can't do the things that I used to do. And I even come to a place without even someone witnessing to me where I realize that my guilt somehow is connected to God and I have this epiphany that I'm guilty before God. I need to know him and do whatever he says. And I go to a church and I hear about Jesus and I go, yep, Jesus is the one I need to follow. How did that happen? By the Holy Spirit and only by the Holy Spirit. See, you don't have to have the radical conversion story I have to know that if you have faith in Jesus, it's because of the Holy Spirit. Can you see how foundational this is? Can you see how important it is for us to understand this? Listen, Jesus would say this in in John chapter 3. Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, he says to you, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit he cannot answer the kingdom of God. It takes a work of God's spirit to give us life, to give us ability to see, to, to bring us to a place where we, need Je- we know we need Jesus and we know we can trust Jesus. He has to do this work in us. And so if you believe, it's because Jesus has done a work in you. Well, you had a choice to make. I'm not saying you didn't but you only believe because Jesus did a work in you. Do you believe that, that the Holy Spirit's worked in you? So l- listen, this is, this is really crucial. Before we move on to anything else, this is really crucial. Because if, if the big idea today is that the Holy Spirit, his focus is to make, us, make Jesus known to us, if that's the case, listen, shouldn't that be a hint of all that his goal is for all of us and all that he's doing through us as well as in us? That we would know Jesus more, we'd make him know more. So the Spirit empowers submission to Jesus. We learn to submit to his saving work in our lives. But also, here's the second thing in verse 4 to 6. The Spirit reveals the God of Jesus. That sounds kind of funny to say, the God of Jesus, doesn't it? But this is how we identify who God is. When someone says, I believe in God, we have to ask the question, which God? Which God? do you believe in big granddad in the sky? One of the things I read about Sinead O'Connor was that she came to a place where she believed, she said, I still believe in all of the members of the Trinity, but it doesn't care what we call it. That's what she said. And she said, "Um, and everyone's going to be saved whether they want to or not. It's a nice sentiment, but it isn't the God of the Scripture. Who's the God of the Scripture? Well, the Spirit reveals it's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 4 to 6. Let me read all those again. Notice. Notice. The way there's uh, this phrase, uh, variety and same, how that goes back and forth. Notice, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God. You see that? Now the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. This isn't Paul necessarily making a theological statement, but it does say something about Paul's theology, what he believed about God. Paul definitely already believed at this point in the three in one. That God is uh, one one God in three persons. He definitely had that. This is important too because 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest letters of the New Testament that we have. That's important for us. It's not a, like a 4th or 5th century doctrine that our God is 3-in-1. It's a Jesus doctrine. It's a Jesus teaching. Now, but also, notice it says there, that there's a variety of gifts, a variety of services, a variety of activities. God, what's, what's happening? God is describing his own work as diverse. Now, I don't think as a Protestant, as a non-Catholic, I don't think that, that every division within Protestantism has been good. The thousand denominations that we have aren't all, weren't all started in a righteous way, all right? I'm not naive to that. It does bother me that we divide so quickly as Protestant Christians. Just so you know, Orthodox do the same thing and so do Catholics, but we got it down pat as Protestants. And it bothers me. But the reason I feel like God still redeems it is because God's so into diversity, In fact, this is interesting because diversity is one of those buzzwords, isn't it? It's one of our our modern buzzwords, diversity. Diversity did not start with sort of modern desires to, to, um, uh, you know, recognize that things are different. No, diversity comes from, listen, it comes from the Godhead itself, himself, that our God is a diverse God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a relational God. He delights in diversity. This is why when he makes a perfect creation, after, Adam, he's, after each part of the perfect creation, he says it's all good. And then after Adam, he says something's not good because he wants to create Eve because there's, there's beauty in diversity. Shows something about who God is. See, we have one God in three persons that we see the Holy Spirit wants to reveal, but also one God working in diverse ways. God wants to show that he's bigger than we think. One of the things that we have to learn to do is think outside the box, but inside the book. That's not easy to do. I've been doing ministry for 32 years, and I still struggle to know how to do that. Lord, I want to stay inside the book, and sometimes I'm so inside the book, I refuse to think outside the box. Or other times I want to think outside the box, and I realize, oops, I've gone outside the book. And I've got to go back to the book and say, Lord, let me be corrected. Outside the box, but inside the book. And I want you to also notice what it says. It's one God empowering every good work. In fact, actually, before I said that, let me read this verse to you about God's diversity. Sorry, Hebrews chapter one. How God reveals Himself in diverse ways. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways. What's that? Diversity. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. See, we we had a a study some weeks back, um, a topical study, when we began this kind of topical series on on, uh, the God who speaks, and we talked about God's library and how this book is not really just a single book. It's actually 66 books, right? It's a library. Diverse authors, diverse uh, backgrounds, uh, over 1,500 years, but one main thread that leads through it how God's making himself known and through that is redeeming a people back to himself. Now when I say this too, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that God working in diverse ways means God uses all religions. That's not what I'm saying. We saw earlier in, in Romans chapter one that all the other religions other than Christ, the, other than Christianity following Christ, all those other religions are really just outworkings of idolatry. But what we're saying is this, God works in diverse ways. That God's bigger than what he's doing just in your life. He's bigger, than what he's, he's bigger than what he's doing just in our church. He's bigger than what he's doing just in our country. You guys following me? So this one God, though, listen, he's, this one God is empowering every good work. He says really clearly, doesn't he, in verse 6, he says, the same God who empowers them all in everyone. In other words, it's this one God, this three-in-one God, who's working in diverse ways, but he's the one that empowers every good work. We sang this morning, Lord, I need you. Have you ever noticed when we sing that song, it's it's easier to sing when we know we've blown it? Because we do get easily, don't we? I know I need God for forgiveness. But what about needing God to do the things that he's called us to do? Do we recognize that we need him for that? God, you want me to love my family as Christ loves the church. I can't do that apart from your Holy Spirit. God, you want me to esteem my brothers and sisters as greater than me. I cannot do that apart from your Spirit. This is exactly what Paul's trying to get at. Jesus said something plainly this way in John chapter 15. Listen. In John chapter 15, verse 5, this is again New Living Translation. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, and you, that's talking about believers, you are the branches, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do just a little bit. Is that what it says? No, you can do nothing. Nothing. You see, what the Spirit wants to do is reveal the the bigness, the vastness, the goodness, the greatness of our God as we seek to make Jesus known to one another. And we recognize, Lord, I can't do this without your power. And you want to do things that don't look like each other. You want to do diverse things. I love the fact when Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, in the context of us being changed, transformed into the image of Jesus, our sanctification, he says, he who called you is faithful, he will surely do it. The Spirit of God reveals the God of Jesus. We can actually know God, the creator of the universe, accurately, authentically. We can know that God because of the work that the Spirit is doing, not just in me as an individual, but through each of us, one to another, We have, listen, the privilege and responsibility when we gather to be used by the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known, to make the God of the universe known to one another. Does that feel like a big responsibility? It is. And only the Holy Spirit can make that happen. Now, lastly... The Spirit manifests the ministry of Jesus. Again, it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But just try to follow me. There's loads we can say about these different things, but just try to follow me. Look, in verse 7 it says, Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, the Spirit works in each, every believer the Spirit's working in. And even if you're not a believer yet, if you're here, we take that pretty confident the Holy Spirit's doing a work. It doesn't matter if you were dragged here by a friend or a family member. If you're here today, listen, we are confident the Holy Spirit's working in you. He wants you to know who Jesus is. That's evidence of God's grace to you. But for us who are believers, to each of us, the Holy Spirit wants to work. He is working actively for what? For the benefit of all. Everyone to benefit. He doesn't just work in me. In fact, here's the issue if you want the Spirit to work, through you, for you. If your primary motivation is, I want to experience the Spirit, I want the Spirit to work for me, I want to know that, then you don't get His goal. (laughs) Then you're missing what He actually wants to do. He does want to work through you to benefit other people. Can I give you a little insight? So there's most Sundays... After I teach, I'd say, I don't know, maybe 75% of the time, I feel like, man, God, I think you really did something right after I'm done. Come Monday morning, I'm going, I'm a failure. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I am wasting these people's time by teaching the Bible. I feel that way. I say that because what happens is I start off by going, God, I think you did something there. That was good. You, you minister to people. You help people. And then my mind starts focusing more and more on me. As I focus on me, you know what I feel like? A failure. You know why? Because I do fail. I have failed. But it isn't about me. And it's not about you when you serve or when you use the gifts or when the Holy Spirit works through you. It's not about you. It's about glorifying Jesus by blessing each other. If you don't get that, that's probably why you're not experiencing much in the way of the work of the Spirit or not as much as you'd like. Probably why you're stuck in this place where the Holy Spirit is saying, are you going to turn to Jesus? Are you going to turn to Jesus? Are you going to turn to Jesus? Now, if you don't want the Spirit to work in you, oh, that's weird, I don't want weird stuff, I'm afraid something's going to happen. If you don't want that, you probably don't understand what you need. You probably don't understand that you can't do what God's called you to do apart from the work of the Spirit. You probably don't get that. You probably don't get what we just read in John 15. See, he, does, he works to each to the benefit of all. Now, next week, uh, when we get to chapter, the rest of chapter 12, this will get more impact, I'm sure, by Adam, so I'm going to stop right there. But look at verse 8. In verses 8 to 10, uh, Paul lists nine gifts, okay? Nine gifts. But this is not an exhaustive list. There's a, a, another list later on in 1 Corinthians. There's a list in Ephesians 4. There's a list in Romans chapter 12. And even if you combine all those lists and try to define those things as each individual gifts, that's probably even then not an exhaustive list. Each place that these things are written about List certain gifts for that certain context, okay? Here, what Paul's listing is probably nine of the more miraculous gifts. Sometimes we call these things sign gifts. These are the kinds of things that, that in this context, and it would fit best in this context that this is what he's referring to, this would refer to the kinds of things that maybe the Corinthians were really into. Well, we want to be involved in the sign gifts. I don't want the gift of helps or service, but boring. I want to do something supernatural. Radical. Gift of teaching, yeah, I mean, but can't anybody who do that who's fairly clever or has, is a gift of the gap? I mean, that's not really that big a deal. No, I want this. I want one of these things. Now, I want to be really clear here, okay? Listen, there is zero indication in Scripture, zero, none, nada, zilch, indication in Scripture that these things that are listed here ceased with the death of the apostles, There is no evidence in Scripture whatsoever that happened, okay? There's a couple decent arguments from history, but no evidence in Scripture, okay? I want to be really clear about that. This is first and foremost why I am convictionally a charismatic, which means I believe the supernatural sign gifts still happen today. That's my conviction. That's how we we founded Servants Church. We are charismatic doesn't mean we're better than other churches who don't believe that still stuff happens today. It doesn't mean that at all, but this is is where this comes from, okay? First and foremost, okay? It's also important that we recognize that there's every indication that the way these gifts are meant to be operated, these supernatural sign gifts are meant to be operated, are meant to look like Jesus. So that the more we look at Jesus' ministry, the more we go, okay... Is how I'm operating in this apparent gift, does that actually bring glory to Jesus, or is it just me trying to look like I'm bringing glory to Jesus? This is important. This is important because what happens is we talk about these things, it's easy for us to pick sides, and it's also very easy for us to go by our experience. I'm saying that because I'm about to tell you about some of my experiences, (laughs) And I'm not setting my experiences as a standard or as any proof that these things still happen today. I'm trying to just give you an example of how these things have happened. I'm also giving an example of things that have happened over 35 years. This is not my daily experience. Sometimes I wish it was, sometimes I wish it wasn't. But these are some of the things that, that my understanding of, and I should also say this, this is just one way to define these things. And if in this context, in 1 Corinthians 12, this is indeed talking about these sign gifts, and most scholars, both charismatic and non-charismatic, agree this is referring to sign gifts, okay? If that is the case, uh, these things are even more probably diverse than the, thing, the definitions I'm going to kind of give you. So I'm going to do this really quick. I was going to do a whole chart for you guys, but we're going to use a, a couple examples, okay? First, I'm not going to talk about prophecy or tongues, because we're going to talk about those things in detail in chapter 14, Okay? But let's talk about some of the other ones, okay? Um, I'm just going to pick a couple for the sake of time. Notice in verse verse 8 it says, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Utterance of knowledge. There's a connection between utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge that we won't get into today. But here's the idea. The idea of knowledge is not just the fact that, oh, that guy's brainy, he has some trivia. That's definitely not the case. This spiritual gift of knowledge, or what we've sometimes called in our circles a word of knowledge, is you being able to know something that you couldn't know naturally. Now, I've been a Christian for 35 years, been in ministry for 32 of those years, or, yeah, almost 32 of you, It's been 36 years I've been a Christian, 32 years almost in ministry. Yeah, um, and I've experienced, like, received a word of knowledge that I knew something about someone I couldn't know naturally. Only four times. Now, again, this is not set me as a standard. I'm just trying to be clear about this. okay? But one of them happened on the streets of Norwich. When we were out on the street and we're doing some street work, we're trying to witness somebody, and, and a friend of mine, uh, one of the young guys in the church, was in a conversation with a guy uh, that looked like a university professor. And when I, I saw him, made eye contact with my friend, he motioned me over, like I'm, I'm in over my head. I go over there, lo and behold, he was a university professor. taught philosophy here at UEA. And as he kind of spouts out philosophy, some of which I could keep up with, some of which was over my head, he's kind of talking about different things, different things, different things, and I'm trying to listen well and, and say, so, yeah, or so you're saying this, saying this. And as he's talking, I look at him, and I somehow know that this guy is asexual. Do you know what asexual means? It means you have no desire for sex with anybody. And he's also incredibly lonely, and that the reason he's having this discussion with my friend and now me is because he's got no one to talk to. So he's, he's a university professor and I, and I just say it as, simple, as much as I can say Thomas is wearing a blue shirt. It was that plain to me. And I said to him, I said, you know what, you're, you're a very clever man but I think you're hiding behind your intellect because you're lonely and part of the reason you're lonely is because you're asexual and you don't know how to have real relationships with people. And this man in his 50s a university professor starts weeping on the street. And the thing is, is that I, no one's more blown away than me. And when this happened, now I wish I could say this guy got led to Jesus, but as far as I know, he didn't, not, at least not at that time. But I said to him, I said to him listen, I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, listen, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm not trying to out you. I'm just trying to say that the Lord does love you, and your sexuality has nothing to do with it. And you can have real relationships with him and with others. He was embarrassed. He said, I, I don't know if I should keep talking. I said, it's okay. We'll see you again. I, I said, do you want my number? He goes, no. I said, well, I, I'd love to keep talking with you. So this name of our church, look us up. And he walked away. I only saw him again once in the street, and he made a beeline away from me. Bless him. Now, the reason I'm sharing that is not because, see how cool it would be. wouldn't it be cool to involve that. No, I'm just saying, I do really believe these things happen today. He admitted that that's what was happening he just couldn't handle it. Now, I don't know what God did. Maybe years later, he moved to another city and some other Christians told him about Jesus and he said, that, that's the Jesus I need to know and he got saved. I don't know. Or maybe he never got saved and God just so loved him wanted to say, look, I am real and I want you to see this. I don't know. But I do think this stuff happens today. I'll give you another example. A gift of faith. Now, this is not just saving faith. God calls all of us to have saving faith. A gift of faith is the ability... To to believe for something. Uh, now I've I don't think I've ever had this ever. I, I have saving faith. I know, I trust Jesus. I know He saved me, but this faith, this ability to kind of just believe God for for resources or work that just there's no evidence that He could He's going to do this. That kind of faith I've never really had, but my wife has loads of times. I mean, the woman had never even been to England, and she packed up her house and moved here. I'm going, this is stupid. This is crazy. What are we doing with our five children? We it. We sold our house. We what are we doing? She's like, this is God's will. It's going to be glorious. How, how, how can you know? I just It's God's will, and I'm sure we're going to do it. It's going to be great. Countless examples of when she's done this. Now, no, I didn't have that. I, I went in obedience. I had a sense I was supposed to do this, but I didn't have this great faith. But I had faith in the Jesus of the Bible, and I had a sense that God wanted us to do this. But she had this great faith that, man, I'll tell you what, kept me going for years and years and years because she never stopped believing that God had called us here no matter how rough things got. Now, we could give you tons of examples Maybe later on when we go uh, in chapter fourteen, we'll show how uh, this this sort of like a word of knowledge. You see that word of knowledge with Jesus uh, having a word of knowledge uh, with the woman in, in uh, um, uh, John chapter four, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that story? And he meets with her. She's meet, she's there because she doesn't want to be around other women, and he's there and by himself because the other disciples have gone to get food and. He asks for a drink, and she says, who are you to ask me a drink? I'm a woman, it's a Samaritan woman, that. And he goes, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink, and they had this conversation, and he has this word of knowledge. He says, you... Uh, she says, he tells her, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, that's right, you've had no husband. You've had four husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. That's a word of knowledge. And she's like, you must be a prophet. And then he shares with her the real message, which is him. We see this with with, with faith. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying as as a perfect human. He's praying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Let your wrath pass from me. But what does he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. That's more than saving faith. That's a gift of faith. The reason I'm bringing this up is this. Listen. It's the ministry of Jesus that defines the gifts of the Spirit. I've had other experiences that I'm not sure were of God. We'll talk more about that in chapter 14. I've I've I think maybe once that I've known of, I've prophesied. There's been other times, maybe in the sermon, where God gave me a, a specific word for a specific time for a specific person or people. That's what prophecy is. But I've, I, I was confirmed to move to England with the gift of prophecy. I was confirmed to move to Norwich also with the gift of prophecy. Someone had a prophes- prophetic word over me. I share all this because we see these things happening in the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of the apostles. We see these things normalized or, or talked about as to be expected and to be held within the right way in the book of 1 Corinthians that we're studying and to say, listen, This is all about Jesus defining how he wants himself to be made known. And if we say, I don't want that, it's all weird, you know, God will still use us. If we say, oh, I love all the weird stuff, you know, even then sometimes God will still use us. But we miss the foundation if we don't make this about making Jesus known. Lastly, verse 11, Paul says, All these things are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. We don't choose the gifts we have. We can ask for gifts. We can ask for more grace. But we don't choose the gifts we have. The Holy Spirit chooses that. He chooses what gifts to give us. He chooses that. He chooses that because he knows the best way to make himself known. The Holy Spirit knows how to make Jesus known, and he gifts you and places you in the body. That includes the local church that God calls you to. He places you in the body in that right place so he can make himself known to you, and through you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because here's the reality. Listen, the Holy Spirit's work, his focus is to make Jesus known. That's the foundation of all that we're going to talk about. How do we make Jesus known? Do you need the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known? Anybody here think they can make Jesus known without the Holy Spirit? No, one dare raise their hand. We need the present work of God's Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying, listen, Corinthians, you got a lot of things wrong, even including the way you use the gifts of the Spirit, but those things can be redeemed if you're willing to walk with the Spirit, building on the foundation of Jesus. Are we willing to do that? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us, Father, to want what you've given us As we we talked about at church camp, Lord, Lord, if we ask for good gifts from our earthly fathers, they give us good gifts, how much more will you give us the Holy Spirit as we ask? And so, Lord, for those of us that know you already, we acknowledge, we only know you because of the Holy Spirit's work. And, Lord, so we are confident that you dwell in us as individuals, you dwell among us as your people, and we pray, Father, that you would manifest Jesus to us, by using us with the gifts of the Spirit. Father, help us as we study your word to know what this might look like. What it means to be a body. What it means for the body to minister to each other. What it means to walk in love. Why that's a non negotiable. How this works practically to do these things decently in order. Lord, teach us these things. Help us to learn from the Corinthians' mistakes, but also to be hungry for what the Corinthians were hungry for. Paul said they fell short in no gift. Lord, we want to be biblically charismatic. Help us to do that. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't yet know you, I pray that they might come to know you in truth, that your Holy Spirit would do that work. Lord, that that if they have any questions, Lord, that you would give them the confidence to ask and give us the wisdom to answer. Just continue to make yourself known here, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says, Amen. amen.